tonight um, is going to be, I don't know what all God's going to do, but we're going to, uh, it'll be more of, perhaps, more of a sermon kind of thing, and uh, I want to invite you to invite your friends, families, neighbors, in-laws, enemies, hopefully those aren't the same thing, um, and uh, invite the sick, invite people uh, to encounter the presence of God, and uh, it will be, um, I don't know what all God's going to do, but it's going to be fun, I, I, I believe that. I think, you know, there's hardship in life, there's hardship, there can be hardship in ministry, but ultimately, uh, man, if there ain't some fun involved, I don't think we're doing it right. Um, the kingdom of God, as Pastor Dave was saying, it's not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So joy is one-third of the kingdom of God. So uh, I think if we're doing it right, if we're doing ministry right, if we're doing kingdom ministry, there's going to be some joy involved. That's my personal philosophy. So um, holiness is good. We need to live in righteousness, obedience to the Lord. How many know that there's no contradiction between holiness and joy? Matter of fact, the greatest way to experience joy is to live in holiness. And uh, matter of fact, uh, Jesus, or it speaks of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1, where it talks about, and he's quoting out of an Old Testament passage, it says that um, God anointed Jesus with the oil of joy above his companions because he hated wickedness and loved righteousness. That phrase right there, he hated wickedness and loved righteousness, that is a, a clear Old Testament definition of the fear of the Lord. Matter of fact, it speaks of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 11 that he, that the spirit of the fear of the Lord rests on him and he delights in the fear of the Lord. And it's that Jesus that God anointed with the oil of joy. So there's no contradiction between the fear of the Lord and the joy of the Lord. They go beautifully hand in hand. That's just a side note. Okay. So, um, God always responds to hunger and humility. No matter what you feel or don't feel, no matter what you think about the uh, teachings or the styles or who, whoever, here's the thing. God always responds to hunger and humility. That's an awesome thing. What I love about that, what God says, it's, talks about it in James and, and I believe First Peter, talks about it in Proverbs about how God opposed the proud but gives grace to the humble, okay? God is attracted to humility. Here's what I love about that. that God opposed the proud but he gives grace to the humble. So it doesn't matter whatever the context is, we can receive from anybody, anywhere, at any time. Because God is so big, he's so good, you can probably even receive something from the Lord even when I'm speaking. Now, I was a little nervous when Dave got up here speaking because like, at least two times during his session, he was like, yeah, so I was at these meetings and they just kept going on and on, session after session. I started to check out and I'm like, man, thinking, well, are you prepping people for the next session? Is that what you're doing? You're just like, you know, by the time he gets up, man, it's going to be a long day, so you might as well just kind of check out. I mean, that's what I do. So I was getting a little nervous about that. Um, but he always responds to hunger and humility, always, every time. He, that's, it's who he is. There's other components to the Christian life, okay? He responds to faith as well. We talked about some of that this morning. But hunger and humility, he's really good to respond to that. And so uh, 
it doesn't matter where we're at, what the environment is, what the setting is. Um, and uh, I might have shared this when I was here in Burlington back in December in one of the settings, how I was in a, uh, we did this conference uh, just outside of Cali, Colombia a few years back. And uh, I shared with everybody, I said, hey, if you don't like me, that's fine. You don't have to like me. I'll be going back to my house in America in a few days and no problem. You don't have to like me. And um, so it was like, the, I think it was probably the last day of the conference. This, this gal in between sessions comes up to me and she said, um, Pastor, I, I want to talk to you for a moment. Um, I just wanted to let you know I'm one of those people that don't like you. <laughs> so, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I didn't know there was like a whole crowd and you're just <laughs> one of the many representatives. I didn't know that, but um, so she said, yeah, so I just wanted to let you know that. And I'm like, uh, well, yeah, thanks for letting me know. That, thank you very much. Um, she said, I went and I told the I told the pastor's wife, the co-pastor, I told her how I felt, and I said, well, what'd she say? She said, well, you know, she just kind of told me, well, hey, we have to be careful because God sent these men of God here to be in our church, and God has something for us, so we just need to be careful. And I'm like, okay. I said, well, you know, hey, you don't have to like me, but, and then this is what I found coming out of my mouth. I said, here's what I've discovered, is that God will often give me what I need in packages I don't like. And I think that is, uh, I really think that's a life principle. Hopefully it doesn't describe my marriage. Like, I, that's not what my wife's thinking, you know. Oh, God gave me what I need in a bag of journal. But, but in general, though, that it's a life principle, whether it's one specific service at a conference, a school, uh, or all kinds of different things in life where God will often package the very thing that we need in ways that we don't like. I mean, let's face it. If I were to, if God would have said, okay, I'm going to have this thing called the gospel and I want you to invent it. So, okay, let's see. Um, a God we cannot see comes off his throne, lives in human flesh for only 33 years, and then is beaten to a pulp, crucified on a cross, shows himself to a handful of people, and then goes back up to heaven and we can't see him again. I wouldn't have invented that. There's all kinds of things that we have that God gives us that comes in packages that we wouldn't have chosen, but he knows exactly what we need. And so I just told her, I, I, I didn't get, I didn't rebuke her, I didn't correct her. I'm just like, hey, I, I get it. I've been there too. I've, there's, there's all kinds of things that God has brought into my life, things that I need, packages I didn't care for. And like, okay. And I said, well, hey, can I give you a hug? And she was like, okay. And she starts to lean in for a hug. And then she's like, wait. I don't want to fall to the floor. And I said, I don't say anything about falling to the floor. I just, just let me give you a hug. Okay, honestly, specifically, she said, I don't want to fall to the floor and laugh. That's what she said. So I said, nobody said anything about falling to the floor. Just give me a hug. Okay, and I gave her a hug. Boom, she hit the floor and burst out laughing. And, uh, that is not the goal of ministry, but I admit it was very entertaining. I, <laughs> I, I had a lot of fun. I was just started to show my son the other day on a flight uh, a video clip that I have her th from that night of that woman rolling around on the floor laughing hysterically. Um, so very, very entertaining. Um, again, not the goal, but boy, it's a nice side benefit. 
Um, wasn't that a great session Pastor Dave just did? That was great. Uh, I was thinking about this, uh, that something he and I have talked about, and, and, and I think a lot of it is just I've been wonderfully influenced by him and his theological journey that he's been on, but is that um, I think if we're going to have an appropriate view both of the kingdom of God and then how, how of ourselves and how God views us, how God feels about us, we have to start with pre-fall. Because so often in the gospel, when we think of, when we think of the gospel, we tend to start with the New Testament and we go, okay, the earth was all screwed up, man was in rebellion, and Jesus went to the cross. Okay, absolutely true. Thank God for that. Hallelujah for what he did at the cross. But the sinful man, sinfulness of mankind, that was a diversion from the original plan, and God redeemed us to get us back on track. He pre, we were born in glory, and he predestined us for glory. And really, when you consider about all of eternity past, okay, like there was, I don't know how much time, but billions of years before the fall that God has existed in glory. I say billions just because we're limited in our human concepts of, of eternity. But all of eternity past, there's God reigning and ruling in glory. Then he makes man. And really, in, in light of eternity past and future, it's only a few short years that man fell, sin came into the world, this sin virus that has corrupted us all. Then God breaks in, sends Jesus to the cross to redeem us and restore us back to prior before the fall, and then from that glory to new glory. And so when you look at before the fall, what does God do when he makes man? God did not make earth, make creation, and make man and go, well, I don't know, there's a little bit of potential there, but they're probably going to screw this up, and I'm really ticked off. And I don't know how we're going to deal with this. I don't know how we're going to manage this. He looks at his creation, and he says it's good. He looks at, he creates Man, he creates Eve, and he says it's very good. That is the heart of the Father. So the cross is to get us back to where we were supposed to be. So I think, I, I just want to encourage you as you, uh, this is just something I was thinking while he was, while he was speaking, is um, to think of, you know, the heart of God. What was in the heart of the Father before the fall? I think I talked about this sometime recently regarding uh, when I taught out of Jeremiah 1 about what was the father thinking when he formed you? What was he thinking? What was in his heart? What was in his mind when he shaped you? And we see in that record in Genesis of how good the father felt about what he was creating. And so everything is to get us back on track. That's why, when, so when Pastor Dave talks about the cross being a means to an end, that's part of what he's talking about. It's to get us, restore us back to the original place of glory. Um, and one other little thing I was thinking about, as a side note, um, he's talking about uh, Jesus, his secretary, asking him about Jesus preaching the gospel, but he hadn't gone to the cross yet. So anybody know when the first time was the gospel was preached? Anybody know that? I'm going to let you know I do not have a clear, definite answer. But I will tell you, um, 
Apparently, it was when, when, when Abraham was living. Because Paul, to me, it's a weird verse. Paul writes his verse in Galatians 3.8. God preached the gospel to Abraham. Well, how can he do that? That was before Jesus went to the cross. Oh, wait, or was it? I mean, he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, so I guess it really wasn't before. Anyway, these are mysteries I don't fully comprehend. I just know this. There's a whole lot I don't know, but I do know this, is that before we ever had a problem, God had a plan. So the biggest problem you and I could ever have, could ever face, is being judged guilty and, and condemned before a holy, righteous God. That's the greatest problem you and I could ever have, and it's already been taken care of. So I need to see all of life through that lens. So whatever other problems that I run into, I need to go, wow, the biggest problem, the biggest crisis I've ever faced was being guilty before a holy God, and that was taken care of at the cross 2,000 years ago. And I was chosen in Christ before the creation of the world. So anything else I'm going to face, whew, I need to view it through that lens of the gospel, through the cross, this good God with a good kingdom, this perfect father, that whatever I'm facing, he's already provided solutions. Before you and I ever committed a sin, he already provided a savior. That's good news. He's the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Anyways, those are just some musings that I had while he was speaking. Um, and that, I don't know, I, would, I, I hope one day when we're in heaven, I can listen to the at least audio version, if not see the whole thing like on Blu-ray of when God stepped down and preached the gospel to Abraham. Like, what did that look like? What did that sound like? How did he phrase? I don't know. That's, that's amazing to me. Um, okay. Um, Colossians 3, let's go to verse 12. I'm going to share a few um, verses that are really an, uh, another uh, kind of part two of what we were talking about this morning to a certain degree. Um, and tonight we are going to invite the Holy Spirit to just come and do as he wants, and it is going to be fun. And... Um, some of this foundational stuff we're um, keep going over today. Um, I was just meditating in the Word a couple of days ago on just this thing of, it's interesting, when Jesus called Nathaniel, before he called him to do anything, his first engagement with him was, behold, here's an Israelite without any guile. Before he calls Nathaniel to do something or to follow him or to do any kingdom exploits, he defines Nathaniel to himself. He calls Peter, and what does he do right away? He says, you will no longer be called Simon, you'll be called Peter. He changes his name, therefore he changes his identity. We know that when Saul is on the Damascus road, he has this encounter with God, and God, God changes his name to Paul. This is a very common thing in Scripture where people encounter God and God renames them because He's rebranding them. He's given them a brand new identity. And so it is 
it, it, is a, it is a powerful principle in Scripture of God renaming us and infusing into us our new identity. Um, and I, I think the most clearest and the first example that we have of that from Scripture is the father of faith, Abraham. Okay, he went from Abram to Abraham. And I think with, um, with, um, with Abram, it's interesting because here's a, here's a guy who God gives him a word and says, you're going to be a father of many nations. And he's getting older and older and older, and he's still not a dad. And the next year rolls around, still not a dad. Next year, still childless. Next year, still childless. He's in his 70s now, still no kids. 80, still no kids. And his name's Abram, and God calls him Abraham, you will be the father of many nations. You're going to have so many kids, you can't even count them all. And yet, that's what God called him, is that you're going to be a father to many nations. And so every time now your wife is going to call your name, she's going to be calling out, oh, honey, father of many nations, would you please take the trash out? I, mean, I, I don't know what it was like then. I don't know what she said, but... Whatever it was, she's calling out his name. Father of nations. I mean, we all know that we ain't got no kids, but hey, that's what God called you. Here's what encourages me about that. Is that I think, I know my tendency has been, and I think it's, it's our human tendency, is to say, well, I feel like a hypocrite if I'm calling myself something that I'm not presently manifesting. So if God says that I'm righteous, oh man, I don't feel very righteous today. Who am I to say that? Anybody relate to what I'm talking about? Who am I to say that I'm righteous when I'm, I, I got these weaknesses and I'm working through issues and I'm in process and I'm, I'm working through these struggles? But I think we need to flip that around and say, if God calls me righteous, who am I to contradict God. I mean, it's not like somebody on the internet called you this name. If when God Almighty steps down and says, this is who you are, this is who I declare you to be, this is your nature, this is your DNA, this is your identity, this is who you are, I've infused it into your inner being and this is what I speak about you, I probably shouldn't contradict that when God Almighty says it. And so for years, Abraham is being called the father of many nations, and there was no manifestation of that. So, Colossians 3. So, as new covenant, it gave different examples to different people. Nathaniel, um, Jesus defining him. Uh, Jesus given a new name to Simon, calling him Peter. Um, Abram to Abraham. Saul to Paul. We have these different examples, but what about you and I as new covenant believers? What are some of, how, how does God define us? And so um, there's a lot of different examples that we can find in the New Testament and specifically in the writings of Paul, but I want to look at just these three real quick here in Colossians chapter 3. And um, let me, yeah, we'll start with verse 12, Colossians 3.12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, 
bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put and above all these, put on love, which binds them together in perfect harmony. Anybody lived those attributes out perfectly the last month, last week, today? Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm going to admit to you, when I would read this passage of Scripture, I'd be like, man, that's a lot. Oh, my goodness, Lord, look at that. Compassionate. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, giving up your rights, patience. Anybody ever have toddlers? Patience. Bearing with one another. It doesn't say being a bear. It says bearing one another. Putting up with one another. And if you happen to have a complaint, forgiving each other. How many understand forgiveness is important? Forgiving one another. And the list goes on about patience and meekness and forgiving. And I'd read through that list. And one day, several years ago, I was reading through that, and the Lord was like, back up and read it again. I'm like, whew, wore me out to read it the first time, but I'll give it a try. And so I was doing it again. He said, no, back up and read it again. Back up. And he kept backing me up. Read it again. And finally, I, I read verse 12, and I started, put then on as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, compassionate heart. And I started through that list again, and the Lord paused me, and he said, no, I want you to back up to the very first ones. And I realized before he gets into a description of attitudes we need to embrace, like forgiveness, meekness, humility, patience, which are all super important that we need to embrace. Before he does that, Paul says this, put on then, and he inserts this little description of who we are before he jumps back into the list. He's telling us what to put on, but before he says to put it on, he pauses and says, oh, by the way, this is who you are? Put on as God's, and he mentions these things. He says, as God's chosen ones. We talked about that in the first session. We've been chosen in Christ by the Father before the creation of the world. So Paul is telling us, very importantly, hey, this is the attitude I want you to have. I want you to be patient. I want you to live in forgiveness. But before you try to act like this, I want to remind you of who you are. You've been chosen by the Father. God's not telling us, all right, I want you to obey the Sermon on the Mount, and I want you to manifest all the fruit of the Spirit. Go at it. Good luck. <laughs> See how that goes. I left you with the same nature you had that you were born with. Now, good luck. Ain't going to work. None of us could keep the law, let, us, let alone anything like the Sermon on the Mount. He says, this is who I've remade you to be. And because this is who you are, this is how you get to act. Before I'm telling you what to do, I'm telling you who you are. That your being becomes before your doing, and all of your doing flows out of your being. So he says, as, put on, as chosen ones. What I love about that is it doesn't say as rejected ones, as chosen ones. Why would the Father choose you? He didn't choose you reluctantly. 
If he chose you, it's because he always wanted you. You've always been wanted from the very beginning. As God's chosen ones. And what's the next thing that he says? Sinners, barely saved by grace. Is, is that the next thing? Wait, holy. Is that next word holy? Wait a second. Who's he referring to? It's got to be God, right? Because God's holy. We all know God's holy, right? So it's got to be referring to God. Wait, did you say us? <laughs> you mean me? Are you holy? Okay, what if I were to ask your spouse if you're holy? What are they going to say? Okay, maybe, maybe Paul's writing to other apostles. Is that what he's doing? Is that how he usually starts off his epistles? And to the amazing anointed apostles of Ephesus, to the powerful healing evangelists in Asia Minor. Is that what he says? Just says, and to the saints in Ephesus. Was that some special class of people? No, he's just writing to the body of Christ. That's you and I. And he says, chosen, and then he says, holy. Why is this important? Because I think for a lot of different reasons. One is Proverbs talks about as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if you're convinced that you're still a sinner, you're probably going to assume that sin is natural to you. I need to have my mind renewed as a believer and understand that sin is foreign. It's a choice I can make, but it's foreign to me as a believer. It, it is not my, but, and even when I do commit sin, it's not my identity. My identity comes from Him. It doesn't come from my behavior. Now, my behavior is important. It affects my life. It affects the people around me, whether it's good behavior or bad behavior. But at the end of the day, my identity does not derive from my behavior. My identity derives from what He says about me. And so He says that I'm holy. It's hard to live holy if I'm not convinced I am holy. But the more that I'm convinced I'm holy, the easier it is to live out holiness. We have options and we have choices, millions of them, every single day. And our, the power of our choices, they're, they're very powerful, okay? Our choices matter. But the beauty of this, I was talking about this morning, was that there's a wind behind our back of the Spirit that is propelling us into our destiny, into our future. You were already born with a wind behind your back drawing you to Christ, and once you get saved, that's propelling you forward into your destiny in Christ. And so it's not just I'm trying to make holy decisions, trying to avoid uh, sin and trying to do holy things. It is, I am holy in Christ. Therefore, being convinced of that, I have to recognize that decision over there, that sin, that is so unlike me. Now, I might be able to say, oh, it's not like my family. I, I might look at a sin and go, that's very much like my family tree. We have, in our family history, 
a lot of alcoholism, a lot of dysfunction, a lot of abuse, a lot of sexual immorality. We have addiction in our family. I'm not denying that. I'm not pretending like it's not there. But what I am saying is that I've been grafted in and I've been, adopt I've been adopted into a new family. And holiness is our default setting. And so now I look at that sinful choice, that sinful option, and go, that might be enticing for a moment, but the reality is that it's foreign to me. It's not who I am. And I have to look at it and go, well, is this a part of God's nature and character? Because if it's not, then it's not a part of mine. And you might go, well, is that really fair to say? Because I'm not Jesus. And just because you go, well, if it's not like Jesus, then it's not a part of me. Is that really fair to say? Because I'm not Jesus. Well, I, I, here's the thing. I'm not Jesus either. But I'm in Jesus, and Jesus is in me. I have to view it that way because that is what Scripture says. So I have to view it through that lens. And so I have to go, no matter how, how natural this tendency feels to me, I've got to look at it and go, if I don't see it in Jesus, I have no right operating it in my own life. And if I do see that sinful dysfunction in my own life, i got to go, oh, beep, 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 illegal intruder. That's a foreign substance. It does not belong here. I'm going to do whatever it takes to root it out of my life from an understanding that that is not who I am. It might be a struggle, but it's not my identity. It might be a weakness, but it's not my identity. It might be a temptation, but it's not my identity. It might be a feeling, but it's not my identity. And I think where we tend to trip up and we tend to struggle is... still calling ourselves holy when we experience unholy moments. Calling ourselves holy even when we feel pulled at times in unholy directions. How many understand we can feel like a hypocrite if we call ourselves holy when we're struggling with unholy things? And that's why I get back to Abraham year after year after a year, God never looked at Abraham and said, you stupid hypocrite. Why are you calling yourself a father of many nations? You ain't got no kids. That was the exact opposite response of the father. God the father was the one who was calling him holy. God the father was the one saying, you are the father of many nations. I know it hasn't manifested yet. You haven't, you haven't stepped into that yet. Nobody can see those results. And everybody around you looking at you says, man, that guy, they're, they're, they're childless. And he says he's got some crazy promise. He's going to be a father, not just of kids and grandkids, but of entire nations. That guy's nuts, man. And then by the time God does give him a kid, he says, God, what? I told him to go kill the kid. Like, this is crazy talk. Abraham's nuts. But this is the life of faith. So every time Abraham introduced himself to somebody or thought of himself or anytime he said his name, he was reinforcing what God said about him. God says that I'm the father of many nations. This is who I am. Sarah, how's it going? Any kids yet? Nope. Okay. Well, God ain't changed his mind. We're getting older, but it's still going to happen. I don't know how, but it's still going to happen. 
check the next month. Sarah, how's it going? Any kids? Any 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 good news coming this way? No, everything's still the same. Circumstances haven't changed. I still haven't manifested it yet, but it does not change what God says about me. He still calls me the father of many nations. And so this was practice for Abraham to line up with what God said about him. He was exercising his faith every time he spoke out his true identity, what the father said about him. And you and I, the ploy of the enemy is to say, you have no right to call yourself what Paul says about us in Colossians 3 until you get your life in order, until you get straightened out. And when you can finally get into line, maybe then you can finally earn that title. That's a lie from hell. That's forbidden fruit. That, that's backwards because the kingdom of God the moment you were born again, did, did anybody get born again perfectly, absolutely, 100% mature? Anybody? Did anybody come out of the spiritual womb with a PhD in theology and perfect maturity and no problems? Anybody? Okay, I didn't either. And yet the moment we were born again, this is what God stamped over our heart as our identity. And again, I would say that for many years, I wanted to see God move in power. I, I, I read church history, I read revival history, and I would go to different places where I heard God was pouring out His Spirit, and I'm like, man, I want to see God move in my life and through my life, but I saw very, very little of that for a lot of years. And all I can tell you from my own personal journey is that when I didn't understand who I was, I didn't see God moving in power. That's just my story. But as I, I begin to have these intimate encounters with the Lord, and in that place of that intimate encounter, he began to speak to me through his word about who he is and who I am to him, all of a sudden, I begin to see God's presence show up in my home. I begin to see... God encounter my wife and I in our living room, in our bedroom. I begin to experience the presence of God as I would talk to people over the phone and begin to release things to them over the phone. I begin to see God's presence show up in meetings, and I'm like, wow, I wasn't even necessarily trying to see that happen. But I'm just so captivated by him and his love for me, and this is what he says about me then he would just come with his manifest presence. Not necessarily because I was seeking his presence, although I love his presence. It's just I was aligning myself with what he said about me. Just like Abraham going, it doesn't matter whether I'm presently childless. He calls me the f a father of many nations. How many understand there was a gap between what God called him and what his experience was? But he was not going to lower the standard of what God spoke over him just because he wasn't experiencing it. He said, I'm going to keep agreeing with God until it becomes my experience. So when God says through Paul to us as believers in Colossians 3.12 that you're chosen, 
He's just stating facts. It doesn't say, and if you go on a 40-day fast, maybe God will finally choose you. No, that's an established fact. That's past tense. I don't know a lot about the English language. I can't break it down, but I do know that when it says chosen, that's past tense. You were chosen. And that's an irrefutable fact. So then he says, you're holy. Why am I not feel holy? I don't have unholy moments. I have unholy thoughts. I have unholy whatever, but he says that I'm holy. So as best as I know, hope this is not too deep, but I think I probably need to read the word and whatever he says about me, I need to agree with. Is that too complicated? So when he says, you're a sinner, you need to repent, what's the right thing to do? Repent. Put your faith in Christ. Get born again. And then you're born again, and he says, you're no longer a sinner. You're now made holy. What should I do? Agree with him that I'm holy. And let holiness flow out of my life, not out of a matter of striving to become something I'm not, but let holiness flow out of my life because it's already who I am. Because this is what the Father says about me. So, let's just try it on for size for a moment. Say with me. Father, I thank you that I'm chosen. <laughs> thank you for choosing me because you always wanted me because you like me. You really like me. I don't think you're fully convinced yet. We'll get back to it in just a second. And then he says, in this version that I have, it says, Beloved. I believe it's the NIV and a lot of other versions say it dearly loved. So chosen, holy, and dearly loved. Holy, chosen, and dearly loved. This is who you are. This is who I am. What I love about this is there's Paul's not saying. This is who you are if you try hard enough. This is who you are if you jump through enough of the right religious hoops. He just says you've been born again from above. This is who you are. I, I don't have time to get into all of this that I, I would love to expound upon at some point. But just Second um, Peter one four talks about us being partakers of the divine nature, participants or partakers of the divine nature. Again, I'm going to tell you that this is something that I did not understand for a lot of years. Matter of fact, if somebody would have walked up to me in church and said. I partake in divinity. Would have been like, 
uh, dude, are you into the new age or something? Do you need to get saved? Like, you need to get born again. Not realizing that partaking of the divine nature is the result of being born again. It's the package deal. Going back to what I said this morning, of I th- it's not so much that I'm trying to get something new that's out there and like kind of unreachable, but if I try really hard enough to get some revelation of something out there that I think most of what God wants to do is He wants to grace us to unlearn things so our minds get renewed to understand what He's already made available to us in the gospel. What's already been given us, you've been made a partaker of the divine nature. I wrote this down in my notes on my phone, I don't know, about a year ago, and I I feel like the Lord just keeps bringing it back to me. I don't know if this ever happens to you. God speaks something to your heart. You're like, wow, God, that's amazing. And in your weakness, you forget all about it. And the Lord has to bring it back up. He says, you don't have it yet. When I spoke that to you, you only got just a tiny glimpse of it. But I want to remind you of it more and more and more and more. And this was the phrase that, that spiritual maturity is adjusting every area of my life to the understanding that Christ is in me. Spiritual maturity is adjusting every area of my life to the understanding that Christ is in me. So so peace is not something elusive that I'm searching for out there. The Prince of Peace dwells within me. So if Jesus, if I'm in Christ and Christ is in me, okay, Colossians 1.27 says Christ in you, the hope of glory. If Christ is in me and I'm in Christ and he is the, the Prince of Peace, Now, how many understand I have access to peace at any time in any moment? But here's my problem. Sometimes I get frustrated. I'm not operating in peace. I'm not condemning myself when I say that. I'm just being honest, okay? But here's what I recognize. What I can't do is go, well, I'm only human, When I got born again from above, I forfeited my right to say I'm only human. (laughs) Like, there's incredible freedom in the gospel. But at the same time, wow. Incredible freedom, but the excuses that I once held on to are now ripped out of my hand. Because if the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me, excuses do I have? So then what I have to do is go, okay, I'm frustrated. I'm not operating in peace. Then here's what I have to do. I have to make an adjustment and go, I'm not operating in peace, but what I can't do is back away and go, oh, but it's just too hard. I forget in the moment, my feelings tell me, it feels really hard. But I have to readjust myself to new covenant reality that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, lives inside of me. So even when my circumstances are really hard, okay, God, 
here's a few things that haven't changed. You haven't changed. Like, that's amazing. And you are my Lord, and you are my King. And everything in my life, you promise to work together for my good. So, Lord, I don't like what I'm facing right now. I don't like this circumstance, but I know this. You are somehow working it together for my good. And you are the Prince of Peace. And the greatest crisis I've ever known has already been taken care of by the cross. And any day not in hell is a good day. I still don't like this circumstance, but I thank you that you've made peace available to me. I am perfectly loved and accepted by a holy God who's a perfect father. Lord, I want to readjust my mindset, my perception, my emotions, and come into alignment with what you say and who you are and who you are in me. So I readjust back into peace a whole lot quicker. Jesus does not have an anger problem. Jesus does not have a lust problem. Jesus, he doesn't have financial problems. Oh, man, yeah, that's great for him. He's the king of glory and the streets of gold and all that, but I'm down here in Iowa and I'm struggling with. Okay, I get it. Again, it's like, well, he's there, but I'm only here. Again, I would say this, is there has to be an adjustment to go, okay, but he's my reality. He's the only one who gets to define reality for me. He's the only one who gets to define my identity. My identity, therefore, my emotional state should not be derived from my bank account. So I've got to, I'm not going to stick my head in the sand and ignore it and keep writing out checks for money that's not there and call it faith, okay? Again, faith can only appropriate what grace is made available. If grace has not provided those funds in your account, don't be writing out checks for money that's not there. Okay. But I look at the account and I go, ah, man, I thought there would be a, t- I thought there was going to be more. No, 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 Jesus. Okay. But Lord, I thank you that it doesn't change who you are and it doesn't change who I am. I go to pray for the sick. That pain right now in your shoulder, go. How you feel? Oh. After I prayed for you, the pain is now in your legs and it's hurting 10 times worse than it was a moment ago before I laid hands on you. Oh, great. (laughs) That's a bummer. Anybody pray for the sick and they get worse? Has that ever happened to anybody? Hey, hey, have you ever prayed for someone and they're no longer with us? Anybody? Just be honest. Okay. That's not good. Everybody who's ever had that happen, please raise your hand so we can look around to see who we should not ask for prayer. Everybody look around. Don't get prayed for by these people. Okay, okay, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But my point is, we've all had difficult moments. We've all had time, okay? So when Dave's talking about a theology of we believe the king is good and it's always his will to heal. Hallelujah. We believe that. We believe that that is the vision that God has cast in his word because every time anyone was brought to Jesus who needed healing, he never turned a single one away. Everyone was healed. Everyone, every time. You will not find ever in scripture 
where someone came to Jesus and said, heal me. And he said, I'm sorry. No, it's not, it's not your time. It's just, I don't feel like it. I don't know. I got to go to the cross first. My, my back hasn't been ripped open first. I don't, you know, I haven't really paid the price yet. And you know what? Actually, you're learning a good lesson from this and you'll die, but you'll be thankful in the end when you understand it. He doesn't say that. Never. That's not what he says. So that's our vision. And yet our experience is, yeah, I prayed for the sick and they didn't get healed and some even wound up dying. You and I get to bridge the gap and adjust every area of our life to the reality of Christ's intervention. Jesus is healer. And you're in Christ. Christ the healer. He lives on the inside of you. Look, I don't profess to have a, I don't profess to be a healing evangelist a healing minister, but I love to see God heal people. And I don't, I don't think I have a healing anointing, but I do have the word that says these signs will follow them that believe. So I might not be apostle so-and-so, but I do have the word that says if you believe, so at least I hope I'm a believer, okay? So there should be at least a little bit of healing following my life because I'm a believer. And so what I have to say to myself is, look, I might not be, name whoever you think of as a great healing evangelist. I might not be them, but that's okay. God doesn't want me to be them. He wants me to be me, a beloved son, chosen, holy, and dearly loved. And Christ is in me, and Christ is the healer. So I got something better than Catherine Coleman's mantle. I got Jesus on the inside of me. God bless Catherine Coleman. Heard she was amazing kind of before my time, but hey, she was an amazing woman of God that we can learn from. But at the end of the day, you don't need Smith Wiggleworth's mantle. Praise God for him. Awesome man of God. That was back in Dave's time, not mine. But, um, but so I, I never got to be in any of his meetings back then. So anyways, um, were you on Azusa Street? Anyways, um, so like, all that's awesome, and I, I'm not looking to minimize it. I'm just saying where most of us live, we can look at these giants of the faith and get intimidated. Rather than going, wow, something greater than Smith Wigglesworth is inside of me. That's Jesus, the healer. Like, we can, we can go around name dropping. You know, I, I was in a meeting with so-and-so. So-and-so gave me a word, and so-and-so prayed over me, and someone imparted to me their anointing, and somebody gave me this, and someone released that mantle. And not, uh, Hey, I'm not saying that stuff's not cool. Like, I go and I receive from men and women of God. I've done that in the past. I'm going to do more of that in the future. I'm just saying for the equipping of the saints, for the understanding of all of us as believers in the body of Christ, you might not have access to anointed so-and-so. <laughs> all of us have Christ living on the inside of us. That's amazing. And that has nothing to do with our socioeconomic background. It has nothing to do with the color of our skin. It has nothing to do with the denominational title over our church door. It is just if you're a believer, you're a believer. It has nothing to do whether, I was about to say gender, but I'll clarify. Whether you're male or female, that's all the gender there. Whether male or female, okay, it has nothing to do with it. 
If you're in Christ, you're in Christ. You're a believer. And the Spirit of God lives within you. Adjusting every area of your life to that reality. So Jesus says in John 14, 20, he said, in that day, you will realize that I'm in the Father, you're in me, and I'm in you. It's almost as if you are right smack dab in the middle of a Trinitarian sandwich. It's God the Father, God the Son, boom! By the Holy Spirit, you're right in the middle of it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now look, I want to wrap this up with saying that I am very grateful for my Pentecostal heritage. Um, maybe later in the week I'll share a little more detail, but I, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit at age four. And I am so thankful for my Pentecostal Revival history, and I love the outpouring of the Spirit. But I'm just on a journey with the Lord that I I don't want to just be involved in great meetings. And when I say great, I mean even meetings where God is manifesting His holy glorious, loving, joyful, wonderful presence. I don't want to just see people healed as much as I love that, and I want to see it happen more. I don't want to just get some prophetic words or words of knowledge, as great as that is. I want to live in such a way that when the conference is over, when the school is done, when the meetings are over, that I learn to abide in Christ. Jesus in John 15 did not say, abide in church. As great as church is. And man, I'm, I'm, I think it was awesome. All of you that came out on a cold Friday morning afternoon, okay? But this is just to catapult us forward to help get our minds renewed and activate our hearts and our spirits so that throughout the week, when the meeting's not going on, we can abide in Christ. Because he never said abide in conferences. He said abide in me. And the good thing about that is, see, it would be depressing if he said, you got to abide in conferences. It'd be a hard life to live. <laughs> That's a it can't be, the church can't be open 24-7. It's like, I can't be, I got other things to do, but I can do them in Christ. I'm a husband, I'm a father. We have different responsibilities in life, but you can do those in Christ. Living and abiding in Christ. I want to adjust every area of my life to the reality of Christ in me. Let's get back to thanking him for what he says about us. And I bless you to live 
and the reality that you are part of that glorious Trinitarian sandwich. It's not as theological as the amazing stuff Dave can think of. But it's great theology. I just say a sandwich. But um, last verse I'll touch, and then we're just gonna we're gonna pray. Is um, 1 Corinthians six seventeen, and this is the verse that really touched it off when just before I had this encounter with the Lord that changed my life twenty years ago in August. Um, where he says that whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Paul says whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Again, what I love about that, it says whoever. So let me ask you, are you united with the Lord? It says whoever. Again, he's not saying only apostles, only prophets, only those with PhDs in theology, only senior pastors. It's whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. That's amazing. Again, I would say, backing up over the years, if somebody would have came up to me in church and said, I am one with God, would have been like, I rebuke you. Get behind me. You deceived new age Eastern mysticism. But this is Paul. He says, whoever's united with him is one with him in spirit. Well, I don't feel united. I got to be honest. I don't feel electricity going through my home. I'm glad I don't, actually. Um, I'm sure that would be a short-lived experience. But I know it's there. Can I, can I have an I'm going to make an honest confession to you. I don't feel married, but I am. Now, I'm not saying that all the time. I'm just saying I'm distracted because I'm here speaking. I'm not at home with my wife. Okay, so it's not a problem. Don't, don't look at me like, oh, my gosh, she's confessing too much here. No, it's just I'm saying that there's feelings that we have or don't have. Okay? But you and I are one in spirit with the Lord. And, you're, and if you're looking at me like, well, I don't know, am I? I'll just ask you one question. Are you born again? Then yes. You're one with him in spirit. You've been given access. And you've been made one with him. He lives inside of you. You're in the center of this Trinitarian sandwich. You are in him and he is in you. And you've been made compatible with him. I'm convinced that has to be the foundation for a supernatural lifestyle. For however we want to define that, whatever we want to say, that has to be the foundation. So therefore, manifesting the life of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the kingdom of God, is not something like, oh, I'm just such a rotten loser struggling in my sin. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But now somehow, in spite of my wicked heart, I'm going to try to do something supernatural for God. No. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. I'm not saying nothing can happen because like God will honor the effort. I'm just saying that's incongruent. It is, I'm going to, I am going to overflow with who he's made me to be. This is who I am. Chosen, 
holy, and dearly loved. I've been made one with him. There's so much more I'd love to talk about the cross and the divine exchange and our righteous position, but that'll be enough for now. So let's stand up. And how many think it's good to agree with what the Word of God says? Okay. So we're going to put ourselves, for a moment, we are going to come in, we're going to verbally come into agreement with the Word of God. Here's what I want you to do. Our feelings are not the ultimate test of, of reality, okay? But they can serve as a helpful signal. So this is what I want us to do. In just a moment, we're going to pray together. And as we come into agreement with what the Word of God says about ourselves, I want you to check two things, okay? I want you to gauge two things. I'm going to pause on one of those. I'll, I'll get back to that second one. But here's, here's the first one that I want you to do. I want you to gauge your own heart. Because if I come, if, I, if God says something to me and says, this is who you are and this is how I feel about you and this is how I see you, and I agree with it, I'm probably going to feel fairly good. But if God says, this is who you are and this is how I see you, and I'm like, oh, I don't know, that feels so awkward. It feels so uncomfortable. Oh, it just feels. That's a good indication for me. Wow, I got a ways to go in renewing my mind. If I'm saying what God says about me and I feel incredibly uncomfortable with it. Is this making sense? When I first got married, I realized, man, my wife loves me so much. And then I would wonder, why in the heck does she love me so much? And I'm probably not the only one who's wondered that. But it was like, I finally got to the point where I'm like, you know what, forget it. I'm going to quit trying to figure it out. I'm just going to accept it. How many of you know that makes for a challenging and awkward relationship if someone you love, someone really, really loves you, and they can't accept your love. It's a whole lot better when you just agree. Yep, you love me. Even if I don't get it, I know you really love me. Okay? So let's just come into agreement with Colossians 3.12. Put your hand on your heart. If you can. Now right now, I just bless you to be free as you repeat these things. So Father, we thank you. I thank you, Father, that you are my loving Father. You love me. You like me. You delight in me. I thank you that your word tells me that I'm chosen, holy, and dearly loved. You chose me because you wanted me. I've always been wanted by you from the very beginning. I thank you that you've made me holy. You've made me righteous and clean. I thank you 
that you love me with an everlasting love. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I am loved. I am loved by you. Your love is sweeter. Sweeter, I am loved by you. Oh, I've been loved by you from the very beginning. I don't want you to pray anything else other than just to tell him thanks. And I want you to breathe him in right now. There's a sweet shalom that's beginning to settle on people. Just a rest. Hmm. You have nothing to prove. Whew. Hmm. <laughs> Feel such a sweet peace. It's beginning to rest on people right now. And by his stripes we were healed. It's past tense. Chosen. Past tense. He declared you holy. It's who you are. You get to thank him that holiness is your nature. Holiness is your nature. <laughs> holiness is your nature. It is not your nature to sin. It's not your nature to live in addiction. That smile you got on your face right now, <laughs> that is your default position. <laughs> mm. No. Phew. Stay focused on the Lord right where you're at. I just want to ask real quick. You can keep your eyes closed if your eyes are closed. How many of you, it felt really good to thank God that that's who, he, who you are? Just raise your hand if, you, if, if you're like, man, that felt really good. Now let me ask you this. How, how many of you 
when we begin to thank God for who we are, you can begin to feel a bit of the presence of God begin to settle on you. Anybody? Just raise your hand if that was you. Okay. I want you to keep in mind that right now nobody's laying hands on anybody. That is just you coming into agreement with what the Father has made clear how he feels about you in his word. (laughs) But as we begin at some point in that little thanking him for what he's already declared about us, I could feel just this peace begin to settle on people here. So Holy Spirit, I ask for more right now. We thank you for what you're doing all over this room. And I thank you, Lord, for the waterfall of your loving presence, your extravagant love that you have lavished on the sons and daughters of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons of God. More of your presence right now. I bless you to not only tune in to the presence of God that is in the atmosphere, but I bless you to come into alignment with the Spirit of God that's already on the inside of you. Skylar, come here. Let me just take my hand. Your love is sweeter, sweeter. I am loved by you. I am loved by you. (laughs) Oh, he lives on the inside of you. Skylar, you are the 2022 version of the Ark of the Covenant. You are the 2022 version of the Ark of the Covenant. Oh. Mm. Mm. There's a place where the high priest could only enter once a year. Under fear and trepidation. He had to have all of his ducks in a row and to do everything precisely right. But now, under the new covenant, you have access to boldly come before the throne of grace, before a perfect Father who delights in you. Woo! That is who you are. That is your inheritance.
That is your new covenant privilege. <laughs> Shaba Balasa Landala Baranta Rabasonto Uremilin Karakai Sho Real quick, I'm just going to invite you, if you feel any activity of the presence of God in the atmosphere, in the environment, stirring, bubbling on the inside of you, I don't care how you define it. If you just feel God doing something, and whether you can define it or not, and you want more, I want you to make your way up front right now. Just come on up. We're just going to, we're just going to stand in his presence, and we're going to let that water flow of his, waterfall of his presence just rain down on us. Right now. Suro Maliki. Shopamba le sida la marando. Urra malinka ratosum burratai. Isundurra malankanda ramaninka radisuku. Sinkuromo. Just put your hands out before him. Holy Spirit, we thank you. For the reign of your presence in this environment. And we thank you. We thank you that Jesus died to give us an open heaven. That when you died, not only was the veil ripped in two, but the heavens were ripped open. God, that this is our inheritance, Lord, to live under an open heaven. Lord, not because we're striving to do good enough or be good enough. It's because this is what you paid for with your blood. I bless you right now to come into agreement with truth, truth, truth. <sighs> come into a, <laughs> yeah, step into that waterfall. Woo! Just, just put your focus on him. There's freedom here. There's freedom here. There's freedom here right now. And there's freedom. If you need to go, you can do that. 
but there's freedom to receive from him. There's just freedom. <laughs> Skylar, just bless some people. He has wild affection for you. Wild affection for you. Boom! Wild affection for you. Wild affection for you. Wild affection. More right now, all over this room. <laughs> Holy Spirit, take them. Take them. Holy Spirit, put them under the waterfall of the love of Papa. If there's anybody here, if you have, I felt like the Lord began to, um, that this popped into my mind at the end of the, the my, my session this morning. If there's anybody who has um, any bone condition or blood condition, either one of those, I'd like for you to just raise your hand real quick, and we want to pray for that. If it's a blood condition or a bone condition. Any problems with the bone 
Okay. Give me your hand. All right. Father, right now I ask in the name of Jesus that you'd release your healing virtue into people, that healing is their inheritance right now. Poof! Help! Be healed. Receive it. Now, blood problems. Go. I command the blood to be cleansed and to be made whole. All infirmity, all disease come out of the blood now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we command bones to come into alignment with the way God created them. We release the kingdom of God into their bone structure. Right now, we command those bones to be realigned. We command all sickness, arthritic pain, come out of those bones in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Every thing from the fall, every curse from the enemy, every curse from the fall, we command it to come out of the blood and out of the bones. We release the healing virtue of Jesus into their bodies right now, into their bloodstream and into their bones right now. If you, when we prayed for healing just now, if you can tell that there's a difference, and some of you, you know, there could be all kinds of conditions, maybe you wouldn't know until later, you'd have to have it checked out, but if you can tell, if you know that something happened when we prayed for healing, I want you to let us know. Just... Grab us before the service tonight and let us know.